our habits, our desires, our affections, our thought life, just everything we do. There's really no difference at all between our lives and the lives of the world around us. That's a major problem to James. We have been polluted and stained by the world. But I love the world, we don't become the world, right? Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's word that we might be hearers and doers and therefore not be stained by the world around us. Today's message here on Live in the Light is from the book of James chapter one. And today we are talking all about obedience. Isn't that a fun word? I feel like maybe it's just my stage of life right now, but obedience is a word we often associate with young children. We think of obedience in our own lives and automatically assume we aren't affected by it or don't need to be bothered with obedience anymore. But here in James 1, James tells us we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, which is essentially listen to what God says and obey. Yesterday, we listened to Pastor Robbie teach about receiving the command of obedience. And today we're going to dig more into application of obedience. What does it look like to obey and how are you doing in that regard? Where in your life are you mirroring Jesus? Ready for some practical conviction? Turn up your volume and let's get back into James 1 with Pastor Robbie. Because they're not legitimate, they actually forget what they look like and they leave and then soon after it means nothing to them. So a great example of this is people sitting in church and the word of truth, again, this is amazing. So the word of God is a mirror. And the word of truth is held up. And what God's word does, it causes us to see us for who we really are. It's a mirror. We see our reflection. And often we're, we're, we're pointed out the imperfections, the sin, the things we need to change. But this person sitting in church in verse 24, the word of God, the mirror is held up. They see their sin or imperfections, but because they don't care, they brush it off. They forget, they leave. And by lunchtime, they forget they were even at church today. And there's no change. There's been a hearing, but there hasn't been a doing. There's no response again to the conviction for change. But then verse 25 provides an example of a true doer. And the true person, the true doer, they look into the mirror of God's word. And what happens when you get into God's word, all of a sudden you see the truth of God's word. You see your sin. We are moved with conviction. We believe in the freedom of God's will and God's way revealed in God's word. And the Holy Spirit starts acting in our lives and we're convicted and we want to be changed. We see that sin. We know it's wrecking our lives. We want to get rid of that sin, want to repent, want to be forgiven, and we want to be transformed that we might bear more fruit and be more blessed, verse 25, in the process. That's a person who hears and actually does as a response to what God has said. Let's take a perfect example from our passage last week. Last week, we spent a good amount of time on the sin of sinful anger. 
the seriousness of sinful anger. And as we taught that last week, the room was still. The listening was strong. The conviction was, was, was evident because a lot of us were being held up against the mirror of God's word. It was so beautiful because after the service, many people came to the front after the service in confession and repentance and tears and for prayer. In some cases too, it was so awesome. A husband and wife came up and the husband was confessing his sin of anger in front of his wife and asking for prayer. That's very, very beautiful. That is a great, great example of hearing and doing. The hearing resulted in genuine conviction that resulted is I don't wanna stay this way. I need help. Christ is the answer. Holy Spirit is my strength. I want to change. I will do something about it today because the Lord is working in my life. But last week, what we know too, every week, there are people sitting here and heard the same message had the same mirror of God's word held up to their lives. They had a sense of conviction, but they weren't willing to do something about it. And so what happens is, is that they hear and they're like, in the end, mm, I don't care. Or like they hear and they're like, I just don't wanna do anything about that. So they leave and by lunchtime again, all has been forgotten and no change has taken place. That's the person in verse 24. That's what the Bible is describing. So what are we gonna be? Are we gonna be hearers? Or are we gonna be doers of the word? Again, if we hear and do not do, remember the text says, not me, the text says we deceive ourselves. By the way, I just wanna point this out. When it comes to the mirror of God's word, um, there's a reason we're called Hope Bible Church. Hope Bible Church. If, if you don't have, I just love how the Bible talks about itself. If, if you're not staring in the mirror of God's word every day, you're gonna be in big trouble. Like, can you, can you imagine, like the churches that close the Bible, I don't have a theological understanding of why you would ever do that. Let's, let's diminish the Bible in church. What? Let's close God's voice so we can say what we really, this is what churches are doing all over the place, okay? All over the place. Less of God, more of us. Okay, theologically speaking, do you think that's going to end well? Like, honestly, can you actually give an argument of how that will go well on some level with the church of Jesus Christ when we silence the voice of God and raise the voice of humans? No, there's no way with an open Bible you can say that's a good plan. But so many churches are, why, why do so many believers spend no time in the word of God? That to me is theological insanity. I do not understand. It's the mirror of, I mean, even this morning, I woke up early hours and I open up the mirror of God's word and it reveals to me and shows me and leads me and encourages me and convicts me and blesses me. And I'm so changed by, that's my theology of why I get up early in the morning because this is God's mirror and I need to look into it because I cannot see things by myself. And this is the one tangible book that God has given to his church. Please understand that. There's no other gift you can hold in your hands other than the Bible, the word of God, the inerrant, sufficient, again, inspired word of God. This is why too, I implore you, if you're new to our church and you're coming, man, when I see people walking from the parking lot, have a Bible in your hand. If you use the Bible on your phone, okay, fine, not as good, not as good, but have a Bible, have a Bible, have a Bible. Again, come to church, look into the mirror, be blessed with one another. Again, there's no point, listen, you will not make it without this book. And that was a good spot for an amen, by the way, church. All right, all right. Listen, you, you, you cannot survive apart from the word of God. This is, not, this is not legalism. This is relationship with the living God. 
and hearing it as we are today. Can you imagine if this message was apart from this book right now? I can make you laugh maybe if I try enough. I can tell some stories to maybe get a little emotion or tear in your eye. I can maybe try to appeal to your intellect, but in the end, nothing changes. You come in, you're like, oh, that was nice. And you leave exactly the same way as you came. Only the book is what the Holy Spirit uses This wasn't all in my notes, but this is an important time for us to understand. We need the mirror, the mirror of God's word within our lives. We cannot, cannot push this aside. Again, so notice, this is a great lead in those of verse 25. Notice it says, the perfect law, the law of liberty. What is that? That's the word of God. That's the Bible. That's the scriptures. That's the gospel. Notice, James says, the perfect law that is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. The perfect law, no book like it in the history of the universe. The Bible stands alone. Then the law of liberty, the law. Why is it called the law of liberty? Because the gospel is our freedom. The gospel sets us free from sin. What's the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message that in our sin, we are dead, but Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins. He died on the cross. We believe in Jesus Christ. We're set free from our sin. We're set free from hell. We're set free from any and all condemnation. We become children of God. We cannot die. Only the gospel is the law of liberty that gives us freedom. So the person who looks into the law of liberty says, Yeah, like I want that freedom. And there's no other gospel message that can do that in this world. Only Jesus can say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's the gospel. It's the law of liberty. You won't find that anywhere else, anywhere else, again, in this world. Only Jesus Christ can truly set us free. So James is like, man, you got, the person looks into the law of liberty to the perfect law. And again, that's why preaching is so utterly important. God uses the Bible to pierce our hearts, to transform. See, see, only this book can look into the inner parts of your being as it is right now. For hearers and doers, the Holy Spirit's looking into your heart right now and discerning and judging your thoughts and intentions, like where do you get that from? Right here, Hebrews chapter four. For the word of God is alive and actively searching us, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces us. It discerns in us. Look at discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, that's only, the Bible does that in combination with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's absolutely critical. We need the Bible to pierce us, to discern us, and to lead us, and guide us, and convict us. And interestingly, when James says, who looks into the perfect law, okay? Looks into the perfect law, that's a metaphor, and that was used in Greek language, a metaphor of picture a a woman staring into a mirror to decorate herself. That's where this image, so just imagine the care and the time that a woman would stare into a mirror to put on makeup, to style her hair. And in many cases, like every hair is in place and the makeup was put on just as it should, that she might be presented as beautiful. The same metaphor, again, as a woman would stare into a mirror to physically apply beauty, how much more? Let me speak to the women for a second here. And of course, all the men, we understand 
But how much more would, should, a, should a woman stare into the mirror of God's word that you might present yourself as beautiful before the Lord as the Holy Spirit reveals the imperfections and sins and allows you to have the imperishable beauty only found in Jesus Christ. Let me word for young women right here right now. All women, young women. Young women, you are being bombarded every single moment of your existence right now. And all women are, and all of us are in some way or another, that your true identity comes from your physical beauty. You are absolutely under an onslaught of falsehood that says you are only what you appear to be physically. I'm here to tell you today, on the basis of the authority of God's word, true beauty, true beauty will be found and ultimately established for eternity in Jesus Christ. You can be the prettiest girl in the world, the world says this, and if she doesn't have Jesus Christ in the end, she's gonna be as ugly as sin, literally, literally. I, I appeal to you today. I implore you, young women especially, under the onslaught of the world's tactics. It is not wrong to present yourself as attractive. It is wrong if you believe that's where your worth comes from. You must, you must, this is, this is a, the greatest habits of my life are established not by self-control or self-discipline. They're established by good theology. If you believe that your greatest beauty is found as you stare into the word of God as your mirror, that is something you can take with you for the rest of your life and the rest of your time on earth. And that will set you apart from millions and billions of other people on this earth who will never have the same wisdom. Your beauty comes from Jesus Christ. And you build a life and a habit of staring on top for that. Amen. Amen. You build your life staring into this mirror and you will be as beautiful as they come the imperishable beauty that is found in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you take this theological wisdom right now and you seek to apply it to your life on a daily basis. And you, and you will be blessed. God promises that you will be blessed right here in the text. We must, all of us, we must expose ourselves to the mirror of God's word by his spirit that we might hear, know, and follow his will. The word of God always leads to blessing. The command of obedience, the illustration of obedience, and then thirdly this, I must weigh now the application of obedience. We've done some of that already, but let's see what James says specifically here, which is really interesting. So look at verse 26, okay? Now he gets a little more practical. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, that's so interesting, but deceives his heart. There's that phrase again, deceives his heart. Look what he says. This person's religion is worthless. Wow, wow. So notice what James does here. He's like, hey, let's talk about true religion. Let's talk about true obedience. And let's start with the tongue. Really? Our speech? Yes. In fact, in James 3, 6, he will say, James talks about the tongue a ton. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Wow. We'll get there in a few weeks. In fact, the use of the tongue is so serious to James. He says in, in verse 26 of our, of our text, he says, if you cannot bridle your tongue, then this person's religion again is worthless. 
He says, you have deceived your heart. So let's get really practical, okay? Let's get practical. If you claim authentic discipleship in Jesus Christ, yet your life is filled with rampant gossip, you gotta take a good look in the mirror. If we claim fellowship with Christ and our lives are dominated with tearing other people down, by ripping to shreds the character of other people, by incessantly talking about others in a sinful, negative way, James is saying, mm, I don't think you know Christ. That's how serious our speech is. Not my words, in the text. If you cannot bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. He's like, what's the point? You say you follow Christ, but your mouth is just used for evil. If you profess to follow Christ, but your MO's walking around again, ripping the shreds of other people and promoting self and demeaning and just even using the Lord's name in vain without a care, you gotta examine your heart and be like, what's up with that? Because that's not the mark or fruit of those who are genuinely alive in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a hearing, but has there been a doing? Spurgeon put it this way on the screen for you, an unbridled tongue indicates a godless heart. I don't know how much we've thought about obedience in terms of our speech, but our speech is a massive indicator of our obedience in Christ. How we talk, the words we use. A proverb says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Again, the person who is not in a good place this way, I mean, it says their religion is worthless. Worthless is empty, useless, or fruitless. Speech matters to God so much. I was thinking about that too, eh? The importance of speech our words, the tongue in relation to the Lord and our obedience. I, I thought of Proverbs 6. You know, Proverbs 6, it says God hates seven things. So if God hates something, I'm listening, okay? I'm listening. I mean, he's being clear. He's like, I hate seven things. You know, three of them have to deal with how we use our, our words and speech and tongue. Three out of the seven of the list that God gives. The first thing he says that he hates is a lying tongue. Lying is a massive deal to God. Lying is massive obedience or disobedience. He says, he says that one of the next things he says about use of speech, uh, false witnesses who breathe out lies. God hates those. Hates people who intentionally bear false witness and breathe out lies when they know what is the truth. And the last part of use of tongue and speech that God hates, God says, I hate those who sow, sow discord among brothers. The people who they walk around and they're sowing division and discord and enmity among brothers and sisters, particularly in the church, God hates that. All those have to do with the way we use our speech. So it's so interesting, eh? James practically applying, he's like, listen, if we're gonna be obedient, let's start with, let's start with our words. Wow, wow. Because again, um, out of the heart, right? Or the words that we speak flow out of the abundance of the heart. And so it's so, so critical to examine ourselves. So let's just take a moment here and let's just, just assess how are we doing in terms of our words, our speech, and, and our obedience. How are we doing? Then verse 27, look at verse 27, our final verse today. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what James does here, he gets practical again. He introduces two categories of what he calls pure religion. 
These categories, by the way, are not exhaustive to pure religion, but pure religion must include them. That's the key. The two categories we could say are social concern and moral purity. Those are the two broad categories. He references the visitation of orphans and widows. They are representative of those who are helpless in this life. Genuine Christ followers will have an increasing genuine heart for God, will have an increasing genuine heart for those who are helpless around them. That's a practical example of obedience in our lives and in our church. Seen in our church, again, practically, and just by example, this is like our market ministry here, serving hundreds of people in our community. This is our uh, serious partnership with Compassion Canada and reaching children in poverty with the gospel. This is our benevolent ministry that runs through our church in so many different ways. This is our wonderful and growing deacons ministry set up for this purpose to care, again, for widows and orphans. Our work in downtown Hamilton, our partnership with pregnancy centers and single moms, our orphan care connections, our ministries that we partner with like Hope Meals, Helping Hands, Safe Families, Prison Fellowship, and Samaritan's Purse. They're all examples of seeking to be obedient to what God has entrusted us with to care for those who are helpless. Because that's part of what, it's not, it's not exhaustive, it's part of what pure religion looks like. So we're learning here, James is like, hey, listen, listen. If God's working in your heart and life right now, some aspect of your life will have a, 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 a genuine heart and love for the helpless. How are we doing in that regard right now? Can you and I point to our lives and to see obedience in terms of having a heart for the fatherless, for the widows, for the orphans, so to speak, around us. James says, hey, if you're legit, that will be definitely a part of who you are and what you're doing. Finally, then James ends with this. He says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so he's like, hey, if you want obedience in your life, get practical again, then basically the saying that could describe the end of verse 27 is this, is we are to be again in the world, but not of the world, right? So we're in the world, but we don't become stained with the world. We're not polluted with the world. We're not, again, tainted by the world around us. So that's another great point of application of obedience, How's our obedience in terms of being in the world? Yes, but not stained by the world. Question, are you stained by the world? Are you polluted by the world? See, again, a lot of people in this room, a lot of people in Overfull, a lot of people listening right now, okay? Like, I'm not dumb enough to stand up here and to not understand there's, there's some of us that are basically indistinguishable from people of the world our habits, our desires, our affections, our thought life, just everything we do. There's really no difference at all between our lives and the lives of the world around us. That's a major problem to James. We have been polluted and stained by the world. But I love the world, we don't become the world, right? Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's word that we might be hearers and doers and therefore not be stained by the world around us. Some practical application of what obedience looks like in our lives. And James is like, man, we gotta have people who are pure and undefiled religion. This is where we must not just talk the talk, but we must walk the walk. 
This is where our actions have to match our words. Again, listen, listen. We need an outward demonstration of a genuine inner faith. So this is an important message today, man. There's a lot here. I pray the Lord is working in so many different ways right now in so many different lives. How are we doing overall? There's hearing, but then there's doing. And you know what's so exciting today? We get to end with the Lord's Supper. Now, let me just be really clear about this. And I, I can invite you, if you wanna pack up and just sit quietly, that would be good, do that now. If you wanna pack up your Bible, whatever you wanna do, but just let's prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. But here's what I know too, okay? So many new people here today. Please understand, okay? Please, please hear me. The Lord's Supper is for those who are saved in Christ. The Bible tells us to take this very seriously. 1 Corinthians 11 that we are not to trifle with the Lord's Supper. We are to take it reverently and seriously. Do you know the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11? People, these are not my words, in the Bible. The Bible tells us, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, people died, became sick and died because of their irreverence towards the Lord's Supper. You can look it up, it's there. How's it all work out? No, no. But all I know, we to come to the table today with reverence, with seriousness, with sober-mindedness, with an examination of our hearts. But here's how I wanna to frame today in, in the Lord's Supper. It's so beautiful. Think about that. We are called to obedience today. Where does our obedience come from? How is it possible we can even be obedient in the first place? The only reason that we can be obedient to God is because of the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, who came before us. Philippians 2 said that Jesus was obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus Christ was sent at Christmas as obedient to his father. He was sent to live a perfect life in obedience to his father. He was sent to die on the cross in obedience to the plan of God. He bore our sins in obedience. He took on the wrath of God in obedience. He was falsely accused, again, subjecting himself to obedience. He died for our sins in obedience. We have life because of his obedience. We have no chance apart from the obedience of Christ. He gave everything for us, willingly laying his life down in obedience that you and I might have everlasting life. So I just, I'm trying to say this. When you hold the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that you are holding the symbols of his obedience for you, that you and I might be obedient at all. We have no chance apart from his obedience. And you hold the symbols of massive infinite love and massive sacrifice and massive mercy. His obedience, loving us, that we might love him and therefore want to obey him. We do not obey to earn. We obey because we've been so loved. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We do not obey to earn from God. We obey because we have received grace from God. His obedience fuels our obedience. So when you're holding the symbols today, think about that. Thank him from his, for his obedience. Thank him for his dying on the cross. Thank him for bearing the wrath of God in your place and mine. Thank him. Beg him to make us feel and to see with fresh eyes again all that he's done for us. Again, I just wanna say one more time. The, the Lord's Supper is for those who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're unsure right now, maybe just wait. Maybe just wait. But, but consider, man, 
receive Christ so you don't have to be unsure, to know him, to, to, to be given life everlasting, your sins forgiven, receiving the gift of his obedience for you that you may never die again. Let me just pray for us. Father, the Lord's Supper is a very, very big deal. And I pray it will be received as such right now in our church. I pray there will be reverence. I pray there will be great respect, Lord. I pray that there will be rejoicing that we get to hold the symbols of what you've done for us that we might live. Yes, Lord Jesus, thank you that you were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lead us now. May this time be so special. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're looking for more Bible teaching, we have many of Pastor Robbie's previous Live in the Light messages available for you to listen to at any time on our website, liveinthelight.ca. We also have our daily program in podcast form so you can listen easily on the go or hanging out at home. If you have any questions about who we are or want to share a story about what God is doing in your life, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-844-22-LIGHT or use the contact page on our website. Catch you next time here at Live in the Light. I wanna be-